and we are live with Gina Warfel. Welcome to Brokers and Brews. Thank you. Before we get started, and you're a health expert is how I'm going to call you, but you can give yourself a better title if you want. So I didn't bring a traditional brew in the sense of alcohol. I brought, you know, a real brew, coffee, uh, organic with some collagen, with um, a little heavy cream because I'm doing uh, the keto thing. So that's what I brought to the table. Gina, what'd you bring for the brew? Yeah, so I didn't think that a a, a beer brew would be a good thing at, at 10 a.m. in San Diego. So um, I brought myself a cup of matcha. Nice. I love coffee, but I made it. I had to make a switch from coffee to tea, or else my I just, I it's bad. I get revved all up on caffeine, and it's bad news. <laughs> well, uh, so I've known you. I don't know, probably like seven years now. I mean, it's like it's crazy it's how me. things fly, right? Um, at least six years, and energy is. Um, definitely something that you always have. So uh, if caffeine gives you more, then I could understand that need. Um, Gina, why don't you just... Yeah, I had, to, I had to taper off the coffee because it was just, <laughs> it was too much. It's like, yeah, you're, you're dumping gasoline on a fire. It's too much. Yeah, for sure. So why don't you tell us more like who or what Gina is? Like, because I say health expert and I don't think that's the right term. So you tell me what the right terminology is and then we go from there. Sure. So technically by degree, I'm a registered dietitian. And a lot of people ask like, well, what's the difference between a nutritionist, a practitioner, a dietitian? Like, is there even a difference? I think that's one of the biggest questions that I get. And um, I, I'm not, I'm not offended, you know, when people say, oh, you're a nutritionist, what are you, a diet person, you know, it's very confusing, but um, the difference is just that a nutritionist, anybody can say that they're a nutritionist, um, so I've met some people who are extremely knowledgeable nutritionists, they have done a lot of learning, a lot of education, they're very, very knowledgeable. And I've seen some people who just kind of come up with their own belief system and they say that they're a nutritionist. There's, there's no qualification for that. So it's kind of a loosely used term. Um, a dietitian has to go through a credentialed university. Um, so I, I think I spent uh, about seven years at a university working through to do my undergrad in dietetics and my master's in human nutrition. Um, yeah. Okay. And you're from the South Line area, went to Eastern uh, Michigan. And now you're in San Diego. So uh, how, like, I mean, I don't think that that's the normal path, South Lion to San Diego. Um, for the record, I hope it's my path, okay? I'm in South Lion now, and I love San Diego, so it could be my path too. But uh, I think we got a while for that. How, how, what brought you to California, San Diego, and, and what are you doing now that you're there? Sure. Yeah, you never know. It's interesting. You never know when just a door is going to open and you just leap through it. And that's honestly how I ended up in San Diego. I never, San Diego was never a plan for me. I actually never thought I was going to be like a California person. I was like, you know, I'm Michigan. I'm Midwest. We like, you know, even though the snow is tough, like we're tough people, you know, I didn't think I was going to be like California person. And um, when I was in Michigan, you know, my sister, we and uh, her and I had a business together uh, Christy, we, we had a corporate wellness company together <clears throat> and we loved doing that. It was really great. We were really loving that in Michigan, but her and I always talked about traveling more and maybe moving one day. And 
over time, it was really hard for us to work together. Like we had that sister dynamic and, and her and I are able to talk about this today of like, those were great times, great memories. We loved building a business in Michigan. But if you've ever worked with family before, you can probably understand that there's a lot of challenges that come with that. So around um, the time right before that I moved, we both kind of went our own ways with work. And it gave me that opening that I was like, well, shoot, I don't really have any attachments to life right now. I'm not, I don't have kids here. I don't have to worry about that. Like, where could things open up and go to? So I started traveling a little bit. And I actually, at the time, I was actually very lost. And I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't have a business. I didn't even have a business email. Like people were like, hey, I want some health and nutrition. Can I email you? And all of my emails were like from the past business that I wasn't in anymore. And I didn't have a website. I didn't have an email. I had nothing. I was like, oh my God, how am I going to start from scratch? This is the only business that I've ever built. And so I was really feeling a bit lost for a while. And I decided to travel. It was funny. I went to P.F. Chang's out in Novi with my mom. And I was just like, I'm a mess. How do I figure out what I'm going to do for work? And and I got this fortune cookie that said, travel and adventure will feed your soul in life. And I was like, oh my God, that's it. That's my sign. Like, I don't have to figure out my business right now. I just need to like feed my soul again. That's, that's what my soul needs. And that process was actually a huge part of me learning how to become a better dietitian. Because for the first time, I so deeply understood my clients for the first time. A long time ago, I was always very like, you can do it. I'm your cheerleader. If you exercise and eat right, it'll make you feel good. And they, it was great that I had this nutrition knowledge, but I was also just this happy cheerleader robot to them. And so when they were really, truly struggling with really difficult times in their life, they couldn't come to me. They didn't feel safe to come with me because I was just like, come on, you can do it. And they, I didn't fully understand really what they were going through. And so while I was actually transitioning to a new type of work um it was a really really difficult time for me and i was so disconnected from my body that i actually i could not even think about working out or being healthy or caring about what i was eating like and it and that really rocked me because my whole life i was into like health and working out like i had never gone more than a month without working out and I was just in such a bad place emotionally and so disconnected from like caring about taking care of my body. It was the first time I understood that I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is more complex than just giving people what to do. Wait a second. Like there's a really deeper component of like what actually makes us want to take care of ourselves and why do we not sometimes? So I know this is like a way huge roundabout story of like how I got to San Diego, but like I traveled for a while because I was really sad and um, couldn't figure out my life and pull those pieces back together. And I just wanted to experience more. And for the first time, that's when I discovered mindfulness and how being with myself like allowed me to actually learn more about myself and learn about why did I want to be healthy or what do I really want with my life and so anyway I was traveling and I stopped to visit um my cousin and I stopped and visit her in San Diego and we're married in cousins so we don't know each other that well and I was just visiting and 
Uh, she was the only person I knew when I was traveling a bit. And uh, she was looking for a new apartment. And she said, I found this great spot. It's awesome. I'm going to look for another roommate. While you're traveling, you should just apply for this place with me and live here. And at that point, I was just like, oh, man, my life is just so up in the air. And I don't have anything that I need to be at Michigan for. So let's just do it and see what happens. And a lot of it didn't actually make sense there. I didn't have business lined up. I didn't know what I was going to do. And that's totally out of my personality type because I've always been make sure your ducks are in a row. Sure. But um, yeah, so I just, I did it. And the, the universe opened up the door for me and said, you better go. This is it now or never. And I did. And so I, that the apartment got approved and I came back home and drove back out two weeks later and ended up in San Diego um, and kind of starting over from scratch here. Which I think though, uh, just from a business standpoint, San Diego is obviously a great place to be if you're going to be into health and wellness, right? Because I think a good portion of the community uh, focuses on that and there's a lot of um, independent uh, people around. Um, I mean, I even know of a couple of, uh, like doctors or whatever that they don't, they have private practices. They don't work for hospitals, things like that. And they're all about like life longevity or understanding, um, more about your body, things like that. They're not like, uh, I'm an internal medicine or I'm a neurologist. It's like, this is, we're like a life, you know, health doctor and they're in San Diego. So I just feel like it's probably the right spot. Um, I don't know who was crazier, you or your cousin, for saying, hey, you don't have a job, but why don't you come on and join me? And oh, man. <laughs> we were both just like, it doesn't make sense in so many ways, but it's just feeling right. And honestly, leaning into that, it was the best decision I ever made. You know, I can't say my recommendation is to always do things that don't make sense. I mean, but really following my gut and just taking the chance, it was a life-changing decision for me. Sure. Well, when you do, I mean, you're like basically in business for yourself. And when you do that type of thing, you do have to take some sort of chance, even when you've been doing something for 50 years and you've got all the experience in the world and all the contacts, but then you decide to go do it for yourself, let alone if you're younger or less experienced or maybe not experienced or anything like that. So, um, you know, if it's from a standpoint of you have to just get out there and do it, then yeah, you do have to just get out there and do it and make some sort of leap of faith. And you just have to make sure that that's the right thing that you can do. Like, like you've said a couple of times in just a few short minutes, you felt like in some ways you didn't have a certain responsibility level other than to yourself. And so you knew you could take that chance. Probably if you were married and had two or three kids, you would have felt a little differently and maybe taken a different calculated risk. So. Um, definitely yes and so now you have mastering mindfulness as a podcast and is that your business like is that it's the main program that I do so I do a lot of different programs some are focused on the nutrition side the energy the longevity side but the biggest thing of what I uncovered is that people were not changing because of a food list it didn't matter if they were paying $50 for it or thousands of dollars for it. What they were investing in didn't make a difference. How much accountability they had didn't make a difference. How much they knew it was so detrimental to their health if they didn't change didn't really make a difference. It might for a little bit, but it didn't like really create this long lasting change. So 
during that time of when I was moving, discovering a lot about myself, um, I really started to understand a little bit more, like, wait a minute, the brain is a lot more involved. There's so much more. As humans, we have a lot of layers that affects why do we make the eating decisions that we make. We might not have all of the nutrition knowledge in the world, but most people know the basics, right? Like you might know, okay, pizza and burgers, probably not going to help me out so much. My good veggies, my lean proteins, my salads, my smoothies, that stuff, probably going to be doing pretty good if I eat that stuff more often. So a lot of people are not nutrition experts, but they know the basics, right? So for a lot of people, it's more digging deep down into, well, wait a second, what are the patterns that they have every day that's driving that reward system to go back to their old ways? What is happening in our mind? So that's where I created Mastering Mindfulness that helps people understand more of their behavior and get in control of things. So it kind of, it creates more of like an inner empowerment versus just somebody telling you what to do. Because at the end of the day, you might have the best piece of paper, you might have the best dietitian, you might be investing everything that you can, you swear you're going to be accountable. But when you come home late at night and you're feeling stressed and you didn't plan and you're exhausted and you reach for something, that piece of paper probably isn't strong enough. Now... So, like, I feel like there's so many ways we could dive into that, right? Because you have one side where, from my understanding and knowledge, your brain does crave certain stuff, right? Your, your sure. brain tells you you want some sugars or you want some things that maybe aren't good for you. And, um, and especially if you're stressed, tired, um, depressed, you know, any of these, like, I'm going to say negative things, right? So, um, how does, why, I guess, why does the brain say to you, I need these bad things right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once you understand this, this is key. Once you understand this, you can be in massive control of, over your decisions. So whether you choose to eat healthy or unhealthy, you're the one making the choice. That's really the point. So when we get a craving, a lot of the time, so whether it's like food, a sweet, or maybe you're craving, even people have asked me during quarantine, like, why am I now all of a sudden craving alcohol? Why am I craving social media more than ever or connection? Why, and some people even say, why am I craving things like porn or marijuana or things that like they normally have better control over and now it's even the worst. And a craving is just a desire to feel something pleasurable. And the reason why is we're, we're interpreting that there's some sort of a pain. So that pain could be as simple as you're bored. So you might be bored and that incoming information, you're not getting any stimulation. So that's actually a pain to your brain. So that kind of lights up that pain area of your brain that says we want to feel good. Or maybe you are just feeling a lot of emotions that are coming up that normally in life, you're really busy and you can kind of check out or some stresses that you kind of brush under the rug. But those are still internally in your mind and in your body. Or maybe you had a really hard day. A lot of people notice if they have a stressed day, they're much more likely to grab some sweets or grab some something processed, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you experience that stress, that activates a part of your brain. It's called the amygdala, where normally when you have a lot of willpower and you're like, yep, I'm going to eat that salad. I'm in control. I'm doing good. I'm not craving sweets. I'm in control of my choices and how much I'm going to eat. I've got great willpower. That's your prefrontal cortex working. 
that works when you are really calm, you're relaxed, you're in a good state. But as soon as your brain interprets that there's a stress, that activates your amygdala. And that's known as like your survival fight or flight brain. Um, I've heard some people refer to it as like an amygdala hijack. That when you get this stress, your brain actually gets hijacked and you get into this fight or flight state. So some things that I have people start to notice is when you get into that state of a craving, what is your body like? Start noticing. A lot of people will notice that like their breathing gets shallow, their attention is up here in their head, they're, they're thinking about food, that craving is in their mouth, they're completely disconnected from their body. They're in like this survival fight or flight state and they're like, I'm zoning in on the food that I want to eat and that's all that I'm focused on. So when that happens, what ha your body releases that stress hormone cortisol and cortisol's job is for survival. So you're going to start craving things like sweets and sugar, something that's a quick energy. And even those foods are going to taste sweeter. They're going to taste um, better. There are some studies that show that when you're in that fight or flight state, when cortisol is circulating in your body, your taste bud receptors change their shape as a survival mechanism so that you are really drawn to eat carbohydrates for survival. So, now, yeah. Well, I, Go ahead. I was going to say, so like, but it's interesting. I don't want to ever put like the wrong thought out there, but an interesting part of all this is like, these are survival techniques that our body has, but most of us aren't really in survival mode, right? Like if I, even if I haven't eaten all day, not a single drop of food, I could go to sleep and still wake up tomorrow. But we use like these, so I feel like we use these ancient survival techniques that are ingrained in our bodies because we're meant to be survivalists, you know, and we put them into our everyday convenience. And totally. so I come home or maybe I work from home. So I, you know, end my work day and something really sucked. And so, yeah, I either I want a piece of cake or maybe I want a more sugary, um, even beverage, right? Like alcoholic beverage, like instead of a, you know, Jack and diet today, I want the actual Coke or something like that. Like it, these things happen to all of us. And it's really funny how, they are survival techniques that our body uses, yet we kind of don't need them on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Yeah, so that's the point. That's totally the, like, you totally hit the nail on the head that we have these built-in survival mechanisms that would be if we were running from a wild animal. And now we're not running from a wild animal, but we're still falling for it. Like, we're still falling for our brain tricking us to believe that we need something for survival. We need to feel good. We actually don't like, and that's part of it is letting yourself know, wait a second, I'm actually going to be okay. I don't have to do what I always did. And so it's so easy to fall for that craving because your body is craving something sweet so bad. So one of the most empowering tools that you can do is when you're in that fight or flight animalistic like steak, and you might not feel this intensity of like how I'm describing it, but you might just be bored. And that's incoming as a pain. And then you're going to be like, hmm, I'm kind of getting snacky, you know. Anytime that there is something that you can feel a pull towards a craving and you know, like, mm, this isn't really what my body wants or needs right now. Um, it's actually about getting yourself out of that fight or flight state and connected to your body. So 
just as a quick side note, I've noticed this with my kids who are eight and 11. Yeah. Normally they eat lunch between 12 and one and sometime around two 30. I don't know why, but just the kids in our neighborhood, they just all seem to be busy or they have to be in the house or whatever. So my kids are bored and suddenly they tell me how hungry they are. And yeah, it's, and, and we've said to them, are you hungry or are you bored? Like you're just looking for something to do because we won't let them normally at that time of day, they can't watch more TV, play more electronics, like do something, you know, and, um, they, they can't figure out what to do. So, and, uh, so they, they decided they want to eat. So, um, that was more like a side note, but okay. So, so I've gotten to that point and I, now I've, I'm conscious. I say, all right, I don't need that, but what do I need to do then? Like, cause I can't just yeah. say I don't need that. I'm a human and I have ex- accessibility, you know, I have food and I have, you know, things around me or, you know, what I have choices, right? Like I'm, I'm fortunate and I have choices. So like, what do we do? Do we eat yeah. healthy or do we exercise or do we just start reading a book or what do we do now? So the biggest thing here is to make sure that you are always in choice. So a lot of the time where people go wrong is that they get a craving, they let their brain convince them that they need this pleasurable experience, they need to have it, and they're they're actually on like this autopilot, and then they're reaching for something, they're grabbing something, and it's not quite doing it, and it keeps happening again and again and again. So the most important thing that you could do, when you talked about something about like meditation and breathing in your group before, yeah. um, this is where that skill comes in. So think about that moment as like when you get a craving, think of that as like game day. You don't want to wait until game day to shoot your first basket, right? Like you don't want that to be the first time you've ever done it. So if you can do some breathing first thing in the morning or a meditation first thing in the morning, you're training your body to get to a lower, like calm, focused state when there's a lot of external distraction or stress or something happening, you're creating this inner empowerment. So when that craving shows up, it's so much easier for you to remember and go, wait a second, first let me get out of this fight or flight state. So the method that I use is called the three R, three R method. It's three R's. The first one you're gonna do is reconnect. And you do that by taking a deep breath. As soon as you do that, you feel your body's stress hormones come down. There's research that shows it takes three deep breaths to drop that cortisol down to get you out of that fight or flight state. So that might not be the cure to your craving, but all of a sudden you're bringing that stress hormone down and you can think more rationally. You're starting to use a different area of your brain again where you can start to question, is this a good idea? Does this really support my higher self? Does this really support the goal that I'm going for? Is it going to be worth it? So the first thing you want to do is reconnect. Couple deep breaths, and you bring your attention from your head down into your body. The more that you can practice this, because when we have a craving come up, our attention is in our head, it's in our mouth, we're thinking about how much we want it. We want to reconnect. Okay, let me do a check in with my body. And then the next one you want to do is reset. So I think about like getting out of the kitchen, getting out of the space. So that you're not in that, if your head is in the cupboard, it's really difficult to change your mind at that point. It's hard. So the best thing you can do is walk out of the kitchen and be like, I'm going to take a minute to think about this. Let me see if I can get my head into a better place. Um, so get out, of your, get out of your space. 
for some people, it could be as simple as like, I'm going to get out and go for a walk, or I'm going to do a workout and I feel better. That could be an avoidance, <clears throat> excuse me, that could be an avoidance. It might work, but it might also work where you go for a walk and then you come back and that craving is still there. Mm -hmm. So if a craving still is there, that's where I want you to really lean into that craving and start exploring it with curiosity. Instead of willpowering it away and, and like fighting it away, distracting yourself, trying to motivate yourself, ask yourself, what is this craving showing up for? Because it's trying to create a pleasurable feeling in your body, right? It's trying to, it's telling you, go get food to create pleasure. So start asking yourself, why am I trying to create pleasure? What am I really avoiding? And so I noticed that like if a craving would come up and I would like fight it away, willpower it away, it would keep showing back up. And then all of a sudden cravings are like a fight. They're like a battle. Who's going to win? Now it wins. Now I win. Now it wins. Now I win. But if I can learn to actually listen to it, okay, this is a signal. Our bodies have cravings. It's a part of our instincts. It's not something that we can make disappear forever. It actually serves a purpose. It's telling us, hey, there's something I want to tell you. There's something that you're not listening to. And so sometimes I might learn, okay, that it's telling me that I'm really stressed or I'm really tired right now and it's making me go for something sweet or um, I've had a bad day today, or I'm not being very mindful. Maybe that craving is just telling me I'm just not being very conscious and connected to like what my body actually wants or the food that will make me feel good. Maybe it's telling me I need to slow down and pause. Like, what is this craving trying to teach me? So it's really about getting to know your body and letting your body be your teacher instead of fighting your body, fighting your instincts, fighting those signals. It's like letting it be your guide, letting it be your teacher. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. My question then, though, is how do we, as non-nutritionists and non-dietitians, um, listen to our body, right? Like, how do I decide that I do or don't need something? And maybe, because, I mean, let's face it, uh, the one reason that, like, diets, quote, unquote, do and don't work is because there's not a universal rule for everybody, right? Yeah. So you might be able to get along your day fine with, say, 10 grams of carbohydrates, but I might need 20, but we both don't need 3,000, right? So we know yeah. what we kind of don't need, but we don't know exactly what we do need. So how do we check in and kind of learn those things? Yeah, and also even being a dietitian, there have been challenges with learning about what does my body actually need? And so thinking about if you're, if you're trying to get familiar with like, but I want to learn how do I eat healthy foods? That is okay. Like meal plans can actually be a really useful tool. They can be a very useful tool to be able to learn how to eat healthier and get a good baseline for that. Um, but don't only rely on a meal plan because you want to be able to feel what does your body need because everyone's different. So think of it as like a skill to practice. So ever since when you were first born, you had this innate ability. Like you, you knew what your body needed. You knew that it was very natural to drink breast milk. And just like an animal knows how to go seek out food. It was interesting. I was reading this book today. And they were talking about how a squirrel might be born in the spring, but it will start gathering nuts and storing them before it ever hits its first winter. 
So it never actually had to be told what to eat or how to eat. It had this natural instinct of what to do to prepare for winter. Just like birds know when they're born in the summer, they know to start preparing to fly south for the winter. And so we all, we actually have this too, as animals, we have this innate instinct of like, what does my body want? Now, unfortunately, as life goes on, we're bombarded with eat this and intense flavors and then follow this, all of these things pulling at us that we start to lose that connection that we have with our body. So it's not very intuitive at first because we're used to logically figuring out what to eat. Somebody tell me what to eat, what sounds good, what should I eat, what am I not supposed to eat, things and rules. So rules can give you some guidance if you're not really sure. And then also along the way, the best thing that you can do is to work on getting your body, getting really connected with your body and paying attention. How did that food make me feel? So I might notice that I eat something that maybe is unhealthy and I might notice with my body, oh, I don't like that because it gives me intense cravings. It's almost uncontrollable. Like I'll give you an example. There's a health food company that makes protein bars and they're like supposedly like super clean, all natural. And they use a, they use a non-calorie sweetener that's all natural. It comes from a plant. It's kind of like stevia. It's called allulose. And I had in my head that it's like, these are healthy protein bars and they taste like a candy bar. So this would be great when I want to indulge. But there is something about that sweetener that to me is like, I just want to eat like three of them. Like it, it, the way that it makes me feel is like, it almost feels like a disempowering food to me. There's something about it. But there are other sweet foods or other indulgences that I'm like, I can indulge in that and I can love it and feel like I'm enjoying life's pleasures. And then I can move on from it and still feel good. And my body didn't feel awful. I didn't get bloated from it. I didn't feel tired or get cravings. So it's a constant just learning about yourself. And we we can be a, so much more open to exploring when we think of ourselves as that. Genetically, we're so different. So let's explore ourselves with openness and curiosity and learn how does my body respond to certain foods or certain styles of eating. So even with diet programs, like keto or vegan or paleo or whatever it is. I know a lot of those diets get bashed as being diets, but it's only maybe not the right thing for you if you feel like it's extreme and restriction and you're ugh, you're barely hanging on and you're up and you're down and you're happy and then you're disappointed. Like, yeah, that's that's a lot of stress to be just eating. But if a certain style of eating feels good to you and feels natural and you're like, wait, I feel like I'm thriving and I love this food. This works really well for my body or some of those other foods don't work well with my body. That's really cool. That's a connection that you created with yourself. Yeah. Well, and that's um, something that I've definitely noticed for myself going back to when Atkins first became a fad diet and a friend of mine um, was uh, fairly overweight and lost a good amount of weight just doing Atkins. So I said, all right, I'm going to try Atkins. Um, and I wasn't probably much overweight at the time. So I'm like 5'11". I was probably like 185 or so. And now like I'm always trying to get to 185 and stay there. And at the time I was probably 185 trying to get back to like high school weight, like 170, you know. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do the Atkins thing. And it was kind of working, but not as much as it did for him. And also there were certain foods, of course, that maybe I like, like bacon, that it was cool that I could eat that. But I didn't really enjoy Atkins. And right. so it didn't work for me. 
But the thing that I noticed that kind of worked was the suppression of carbs. So then comes along South Beach. And I read the book and, you know, even talking with a couple of friends that were in residency at the time. And excuse me, they would explain, you know, this is a book that we give to our like diabetics who don't understand anything about their diet because it's not get rid of carbs. It's a certain carb restriction and healthy carbs versus unhealthy carbs and all that type of stuff. So I read the book, I did the diet and I did that for quite a while and it worked really well. And it was easy to do after those first two weeks when you do limit all carbs, right? Um, But after those first two weeks, it was easy for me to do. And eventually just kind of fell off of it. And that point on, it was always hard. But so now comes along ketogenic diet. And Mm -hmm. I did that and it worked. And then you get to kind of the goal. And so you get off of the diet for some reason. I don't know why, but this is just what we do. And of course, then you go back up and then you go back down. So, you know, I'm back in and I've been in for a couple months. And the reason being is that it works for me, not just because of the carb restriction, but I'm able to manage my day with the right foods this way. I'm able to eat, you know, vegetables and I'm able to eat fats and I'm able to have coffee. And if I do want, you know, an alcoholic beverage, I can find the right one or something like that with, with, you know, like the right moderation that I don't feel like I'm struggling or sacrificing too much. And, you know, as a whole, the diet itself seems to work for me. So, you know, I try to explain that to anyone who asks me, because I've always been like, like it's a side note, I've always liked health and fitness, you know, so someone might say, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And like, if it works for you, unless you're telling me something completely unhealthy, um, you know, if it works for you, then do that you know, Um, but it's still, it's hard. I think the big thing, and this is one big thing with keto, everyone wants a cheat day. And with ketogenic anyways, there is no real cheat day because the whole concept is that you've done something to get your body burning fat. Sure. You take in those carbs on your cheat day, then your body doesn't and you have to go all the way back to square one, right? Yeah. What are your thoughts outside of that, like cheat day versus maybe you know, my body's craving something and I want to have it to just plan it in on Sundays. I'm going to have pancakes with, you know, all the syrup in the world and something like that. What, how does that work out? Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the idea of cheat day. And and the reason why is because I, I believe so much in moving people from disempowerment to empowerment and something like restriction. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, now you can break the rules. It's just kind of fueling like this. You can't do it. And then you can, it's kind of like fueling this, this cycle of kind of messed up eating. Food is just food. Like listen to your body and like creating that deeper connection because I, for me and for all of the clients that I work with, the more that I gave them these rules of you can't, you can't, you can't, it was teaching them to be like a kid, like a teenager and it doesn't matter how good of a relationship you have with your coach, you're going to want to break the rule when, when you can, you know, like it, I think it just kind of creates like this, this cycle of like extreme restriction and then overeating. So I just don't like, I'm not a huge fan of like the idea of it where I would much rather say, check in with your body. Let's practice that as a skill. And when you come down to the pancakes with the syrup and all the things like Check in with yourself and ask yourself, like, all right, do I really want this right now? 
Is it going to help me get to my goal? And maybe it's not going to help me get to my goal, but I just want to indulge. And you're like, yep, I'm okay with it. Cool. And then I can eat some pancakes and then I can move on with my life. You know, like it doesn't have to be this like perfection and then binge on anything that you want. I'm just, I'm not a fan of that. Like what it does with the relationship with food, it becomes like this, it makes food weird. It makes your relationship to food really weird instead of just checking in with yourself, eating some food and then like moving on from it and knowing like, it's totally okay if you don't eat perfect all the time. That's not going to make or break your goals. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now what if it's the other way? What if it's exercise and that one of the reasons I exercise hard, you know, is so that I can eat what I want, so to speak. Um, is Do you feel like that could be a healthy uh, relationship with food and diet and exercise to, uh, I almost say like uh, The Rock, right? Dwayne Johnson. Uh, yeah. He posts his epic cheat meals on Sundays and it's the most fantastic looking French toast with like peanut butter and all the stuff all over it. But we know that he eats clean six days a week, but he also trains like a beast probably is on supplements that we can't even get access to. But besides all those things, right? If we just talk about the training and the eating, um, he's up at 430 every day doing two hours of exercise. So if you want to do something like that, because you really do want to enjoy uh, certain foods, whether it be pizzas and burgers or whether it be, you know, cakes and ice creams, can that be a healthy relationship? Assuming that you're not screwing with your blood levels, you know, your cholesterol level, things like that. Assuming that your those levels are okay. I mean, with wrapping your head around it, like, <clears throat> of course we want to exercise to keep our bodies healthy and to be able to indulge in these things. Like we do know, yeah, you can have a little bit more calories if you exercise more and that's a good thing. But also thinking about like, are you putting conditions on yourself? So you can have this if you can, um, you can eat this food if you do this or like we get so wrapped in putting conditions on ourselves. I will love you when you hit this goal. I will um, deserve this when versus just like, if you want to eat it, it doesn't matter. Like eat it. If you want to move a certain way, like move a certain way. So the thing is like when we keep always honoring what our body needs and what our body wants versus thinking of it as I'm going to punish you because you ate bad. Like that's like slapping your hand on the wrist of like, you're not doing good enough versus like if you're always connecting with yourself and like I'm going to honor what my body feels right now even if it's eating the pancakes without exercise what happens is that desire to overeat and then feel like crap after it naturally goes away because you're always honoring and creating trust with your body instead of like <gasps> if I you know today's my last day to eat the pancakes so now I gotta eat all the pancakes because starting Monday through Saturday I'm not allowed to eat the pancakes like it goes away because you're like, cool, if I want to eat pancakes tomorrow, I could tomorrow if I wanted to, and then I eat one or two today, and I'm good. And if you think about that, it's like, um, think, think about a cat. Cats are great example, great examples of this. If you had a, a street cat that was starving and you gave it some food, it would scarf down that food like a cheat day and be looking for more. Now, if you have a good fat house cat or not even a fat house cat, just a normal healthy house cat and you give it a bowl of food, it's going to nibble and then walk away. 
and it maintains a healthy weight on its own. It eats, it leaves, it eats, it leaves. It's indifferent. There's no, there's not this like charged, like I have to do this to deserve it. I have to, I can only earn it if I do this. It's just like, you're the one that's in control. You're the adult here. You know, you can eat however much you want. And just that knowing of like, I'm allowed to eat it whenever I want. All of that overeating of the pancakes and having this massive cheat day, it goes away because you feel so connected to your body that you don't want to feel like shit on a cheat day eating 13 pancakes. Like you're just like, wait a second. Like my body, I've been honoring what it needs so much. I've been exercising in a way that feels good, that makes me feel vibrant, energized, not because uh, you are bad. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just that kind of like staying with positives and and just going with what you should be doing or want to be doing versus like the restriction thing. And I think you're right. I mean, this is why I feel like so many people, including myself at times, fail on certain things. It's a it's the restriction, you know, thought process. Like I have to do this to do that or you know, whatever. And, um, then you just give up cause you say it's not worth it. You know, I'd rather not eat salads because I do like this or whatever. And I've, I'm so sick of salads, you know? Um, I saw that with my mom when she came out of the hospital after she had her stroke at like 40, she was eating really good with, you know, you have to eat like cassette sized pieces of meat and you have to eat, uh, and some people probably don't know what a cassette is. And, um, <laughs> And you have to like uh, do this. You have to limit that. And she did really good with that for like four to six months. And I helped prep a lot of those foods for her, even if it was like a microwave dinner, like a you know healthy balance or whatever that healthy choice, whatever that company's called. And um, and then finally she just said, "I'm sick of this. I don't like it." You know. And I'm like, for her, she thought I'd rather eat what I like and risk you know my health than whatever, I would have obviously approached it a little different with I'm sick of this, but what can I do versus I'm sick of this, I'll go back to what I used to do. But, you know, I, I think that restricting yourself constantly of all the stuff that you want is just not a good thing, you know? Yeah, it's kind of a delicate balance because it's great to have goals. Don't get me wrong. It's great to have goals to eat healthy. I'm not saying, you know, just do whatever you want. Don't ever don't ever question it. It's really about like checking in with yourself. And so how, the way that I check myself is I always check in and say like, is this what's going to serve my better self right now? And sometimes that means going for the dessert. And I'm like, cool, that actually is feeling really nurturing because it tastes good. I'm liking it. I'm super present. I'm being mindful of it. And I'm letting go of that fearful restriction mindset that's probably going to make me like want to overeat it. Or I might be checking in with myself. So like a lot of people get nervous that they're like, but wait, when you take away the rules, I'm going to eat anything and I'm going to have a free for all and it's going to be bad. And I know that there's like that fear of that. But when we work on the skill of like, hmm, let me check in with my body. And the more that we keep like honoring what our body actually wants and needs, then um, the more you're actually just drawn to choose healthy foods because you get really sensitive to like, Oh, wait a second. That food made me feel like crap. And I actually don't want, I'm, I'm loving and respecting my body more. And so sometimes just overeating or those cheat days, it's, it's not like a loving, respecting thing to like do to your body. You know what I mean? Sure. All right. So 
I might go a little bit deeper here and maybe it won't make sense to uh, any of us common folk, but I know that you've gotten more into understanding about your body's glucose levels. Oh yeah, I have my glucose monitor on right now. All right, so, and I'm just turning up my air conditioning, not checking my phone. Um, so tell me like why and how you decided to do that because I know that it's like, quote, a thing, right? Like I know I see people doing it. I, again, um, one of the people that I like to follow is uh, Dr. Peter Atia. He's big yeah. into the glucose stuff. And, and I, he's very deep into it because he's super smart and a you know, doctor and stuff. And uh, I don't always know what he's saying. So maybe you can break it down. What got you there? Why do you think it's so important? What are you doing about it? Yeah, I think for a long time, I've been teaching about um, blood sugar imbalances for a long time. And a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not diabetic. So it doesn't that doesn't apply to me. And so many people are walking around with dysregulated blood sugar and not knowing it, even though they're not diabetic or pre-diabetic yet. And what's interesting is whenever I would go to a conference on a certain health topic from these phenomenal speakers, I mean, just amazing health practitioners, and we might be talking about brain health and dementia. We might be talking about gut health. We might be talking about hormones, cardiovascular health, almost any health topic. And they always say, if, you're, if your blood sugar is not stable, if your blood sugar is dysregulated, you can't fix anything. It's actually creating so many problems in our body that people don't really realize. And so blood sugar plays a huge role in in your cravings, if you get these big blood sugar spikes and crashes, it's going to affect your cravings, it'll affect your energy, your mood, but it's also going to create inflammation in your body. If you ever see people who have that really stubborn belly fat, and they're so frustrated, and they're like, I just have this stubborn belly fat, a lot of the time, it's actually dysregulated blood sugar. Um, that's causing it's like this inflammatory weight gain because of blood sugar. So I think because there's so many like manifestations of health problems from dysregulated blood sugar, it's becoming more common now that people are understanding like, oh, I don't have to be diabetic to actually have issues like weight gain around my belly or um, brain fog and dementia. There's now a, a diabetes that they're calling type three diabetes, which is high blood sugar in the brain hmm. and that contributing to things like dementia, Alzheimer's. Um, cardiovascular disease can happen because all of this excess sugar is creating damage inside the arteries. And then we have the cholesterol that just wants to come patch it up and, and take care of our arteries. And then cholesterol gets blamed, you yeah. know? Yeah. So um, I think that it's, it's on the forefront of people understanding more about their blood sugar and knowing that it is a concern for diabetics and it's a concern for people who are not diabetic, but are just doing a really poor job of regulating their blood sugar. So things like a continuous glucose monitor, I'm, I'm actually a part of a beta test group for a company testing out their app, um, which it, it's been interesting because it's not on the market yet. Right now, this is a continuous glucose monitor. If uh, you're a diabetic, you're probably familiar with it, but it's basically monitoring my blood sugar um, all is throughout it, the day. Is it puncturing your skin or is it just? It is. Yeah. This is a, this is a cover that yeah. helps get protected. Cause the last one I had on, I knocked it out of my arm, <laughs> but yeah, there's just, it's like this tiny little filament that goes in your arm. Yeah. I thought it was going to hurt to put it on, but it actually didn't even feel a thing. It was, I can't believe you don't feel it. Cause it, it goes into your skin. Yeah. Um, but so what I do is actually, I'll just show you how I do it. I take this, um, app 
which I just ate some carbs right before those carbs alone. So my blood sugar, and now I'm sitting. Yeah. So my blood sugar is probably high, but I open up this blood sugar app and I scan it. And then it tells me, it'll like read what my blood sugar is. So um, I can track my blood sugar and then oh, exercise. The Come on, you don't get to skip that part. What was it? <laughs> They're not good right now because I'm sitting and I just ate carbs. Um, mine were actually 125, which okay. is not very good, which is pretty high. So that was a huge sign to me of like, ooh, don't eat carbs alone. Don't eat carbs and then just sit. The other thing that I would do too is sometimes this scanner is off. Sure. Sometimes it's not correct. Mm -hmm. So um, I do. So with a, a result like that, that is pretty high, I would also check a finger prick. I would also do a finger prick with myself just to cross check and see like, is that actually accurate or not? Sure. Um, fair, so, if you ate the whatever the healthiest thing is in the world, your blood sugar would spike in some level right I mean it's not it can't just stay completely flat like it's gonna well, so that, yeah so it's not gonna um it's not necessarily that we want to keep it flat all the time but you don't want it to spike really high because that's where the problem comes in is when you rush your bloodstream with a ton of sugar a ton of carbs that's where you get too much of what you need and eventually our body becomes resistant to that sugar and it's creating inflammation and damage that's where we get insulin resistance so we want to try to keep it as stable as possible. So things like eating lower carb can help with that stability. Um, if you are eating carbs, always pairing a fat and a protein. So I didn't do that. Like before I sat down here, I just had carbs alone. And now I can see from that experiment, whoa, that spiked me up. Versus if I would have had a complete breakfast with some carb, with some protein and fats, it really blunts that spike. Mm -hmm. Now it's really interesting is that some people who are doing things like keto or very extremely low carb can still have high blood sugar if their stress is high. Mm -hmm. So that stress hormone cortisol will break down glycogen and dump sugar into your bloodstream if you're under stress for quick energy. So that's where even it can be super eye-opening for things like stress, where you're like, hey, uh, how well do I control my stress? If your blood sugar is all over the place, it could be all over the place because you're stressed, regardless of what you're eating. So yours was high. If we weren't on this call and you had whatever free time, what would you do to change your number from 125 back to where closer to where you want it to be? What is so amazing is you could do a 10-minute walk and it makes a big impact on your blood sugar. What's going to make the biggest impact on your blood sugar is using some of the bigger muscles, like your lower body, like your legs, your glutes. Like if you do some squats or something, if you add a little bit of weight, that's really going to drop it down faster. If you have time to get your heart rate up, do a quick exercise, it does drop that blood sugar down. Your cells, when, when we're just sitting, our cells are like, cool, I don't really need energy. So now I have all this sugar circulating in my bloodstream and my cells are just like, mm, I don't really need this energy. But now all of a sudden I start moving and your cells are like, they're kind of, I think of it like Pac-Man. They're just like gobbling up that sugar and burning it for energy. So even something like a quick walk around the block, if I get up and do a 15 minute walk um, just around the block, it's amazing what that can do to bring that number back down. Sure. Um, and, and so like you are part of the study, but what's the, the study is to figure out, does this app work or like what's the study? 
Yeah, I think that they're trying to see like how usable is it? So basically the app that they're using is um, it gives you a metabolic score. So it tells you like how well did you control your blood sugar throughout the day? So it's not something that's provided to consumers yet, but ideally once they get the kinks of this app smoothed out, hopefully it'll be available on the market to consumers where they can get some more education on how does their body respond to food? Because again, it comes back to that personalization. Some people's bodies are more metabolically um, able to handle carbs where some people they're not metabolically equipped to handle carbs and they're the kind of person that doesn't do so well with eating carbs alone or certain amounts certain types um, so it just kind of gives us some more insight some more clues so I'm just testing it out to see do I think it's something that's useful um, we'll see it might be out on the market um, I think that they're shooting I think for like well, actually, I'm not really sure. I'm not exactly sure, sure. when it's going to be available. Right now, it's prescription by a doctor. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting topic because the thing that's really interesting to me about it is you could be what we think of as healthy, right? Like you could get up at whatever time in the morning and knock out like an hour of cardio, like real good cardio, and an hour of like other fitness, whether it be stretching or lifting or something like that, and then maybe be doing some other healthy diet stuff, and yet still have these blood sugar spikes and still be like, quote, unhealthy, you know, so um, it's definitely an interesting topic. And when I saw that you were doing something with it, I thought, well, like, number one, like, of course you are. And number two, like, but that's really cool because I think it just continues shaping, like, the things that you've said that you've learned, you know, in the last 10 years of your, you know, fitness uh, expertise, you know, then there's the next 10 years, right? Like, we, it doesn't stop. And so yeah. um, hopefully the, while there's a lot of bad that comes with, like, various technologies and information and, you know, things like that, and obviously companies get to learn how to, process fake foods for us there's all the good that comes with it right and we just have to make sure that we're seeking out the right thing for for us but um you know i think that this seems like the next wave of information for those that are interested in staying healthy is understanding more about your blood sugar and regulating it i think it can be a big wake-up call you know when we do these things that are like these biohacking tools Again, think of them as like a tool. We don't want our technology to own us and tell us what we need to do with our health, but they can be a big wake-up call of like, whoa, I didn't realize how much my blood sugar is, or that's where labs can be a useful tool of like, where am I actually starting from? You know, gathering more data on yourself is great, and then use that as you're going along. So whether you're using a biohacking tool or whether you're using a meal plan or a certain diet to you know, eat a certain way, or you're using recipes, whatever it is that you're doing, use those tools, and then really check in, use that as a place of empowerment to see like, how does my body respond? How do I adapt? You know, is something like low carb? Is it a good thing for me? How do these foods make me feel? Do I feel like I'm nurturing myself and I'm empowered? Or do I feel like I'm being restricted and on this extreme roller coaster that I'm excited and then disappointed? Like, really checking in a lot of time there's not a right or wrong answer because we're all different. So saying that everyone, saying that everyone should eat the same is absolutely absurd. Like it is, it's so absurd. So it's just about knowing yourself better. Yeah. 
Well, I have to be respectful of your hour, and we have about five or six minutes. And I know that you have been contributing to books. You have a podcast. You have probably a YouTube channel. So let's hear all about those things. Plug, plug, plug. How do we know? How do we find Gina? How do we get more of this awesome information and things like that? Well, I just, I love talking about this stuff. So I'm always throwing out strategies and and ways to to keep your mind right around it. So yeah, the podcast is Mastering Mindfulness Institute. You can find that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, all those things. Um, And then of course, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram is Gina.Warfel. And yeah, website is GinaWarfel.com. You can always always find me there. Let me know, connect with me. I'd I'd love to hear. I always love hearing, you know, what resonated with people, what things came up, what are you working on? What realizations did you have? What eating strategies are working for you? So I love that you're always open and, and sharing so much about your journey and what you're working on too. It's been awesome. Yeah, no, I think you've been like a tremendous resource. Um, just sometimes whether it's a reminder or it's a direct, like, Hey, you know, what do you think about whatever? And also a super like legit caring person, right? Like um, when when my mom was basically dying and sick, you know, I mean, like you had some insight as far as different things that um, maybe people could try and, and, and research or whatever you want to call it that's out there. And so it's a lot deeper than just like you say, uh, I'm, like you've gone, I think, way far from the health cheerleader um, which was great, right? But this is like so much more. And yeah. um, the Mastering Mindfulness Facebook group, you know, is a great group that you post in live, you post in regularly, it's open for others. So I like the group because, you know, you just kind of sometimes see it. And sometimes it's just a reminder, especially if you haven't done something that you'd like to do. Like I do like to work out, but if I haven't done it for a few days um, and you see somebody else is doing it, you know, it's, it's just like, it it reminds you to like, do your thing, you know? And, um, and then you obviously can help with understanding, okay, so you normally worked out for an hour a day and now you can't. So what can you do? You know, and kind of like what we were talking about earlier with what your body is capable of and how do we figure that out? And that it's not like an all or nothing. It's an, it's a long-term adventure, if you will. And, uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I just think you're a great resource. So I we could I could talk so much more about so many more things. So I hope that we get to again in the near future. Um, but I really appreciate you coming on and your time. And um, I guess cheers to you. Uh, cheers. <laughs> it has been a pleasure. Thanks, Tina. Have a good one. Uh-huh.